Welcome to Modern Aikido's podcast. I've got a fantastic guest today, and I, we just chatted a few days ago as sort of a little pre-interview. It went fantastic. I can't wait to, uh, to get into this uh, rather deeply. Now, uh, Dr. Jean, and, and I'm not going to even try to pronounce your last name for fear of screwing it up, um, was referred to me by another fellow martial artist. And as a martial arts geek, I just thought, hey, I'd love talking with another martial artist. And then I, I, after our discussion, I looked into him. Uh, in addition to, to being a doctor, he's also an actor. Uh, it appears to be kind of a renaissance man, done a lot of different things. We found out in his discussion that he also has some bouncing and security background, uh, which I'm very fascinated to discuss. So uh, Dr. John, why don't I let you give your full name for everybody <laughs> and uh, maybe fill in some details that I may have missed. Sure, Tristan, thank you so much for having me on. Um, so uh, my name's Dr. John Shuizang. Um and yeah, uh, it's, it's a real pleasure to be here. I'm very excited for this uh, from our last discussion. And uh, yeah, so uh, my training background um, started in 1993 um, under my father, uh, trained in various styles of Kung Fu. Uh, then he sent me over to train with a special forces instructor who um, taught me different styles of karate, Aikido, Jiu Jitsu, uh, Arnis, uh, Hapkido, and Salat. Uh, I think those are the main ones. <laughs> Is there anything left? <laughs> well, lots of medieval stuff that I haven't haven't begun sure. to, to explore yet, but uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, um, quite a, a fairly diverse background, and um, it's I think the the differences have made me hungry to learn more, mm. and um, the similarities are ones that I can join together and uh, make sense of. You know what I mean? So I'm a student for life. <laughs> Absolutely. And when we talked, I, I felt very much a, a kinship to the same attitude myself. Um, and the, the starting question, I guess, from our, our discussion, although I've also gotten two ideas just in what you said of what we could talk about different subjects, but we'll get to that later, was what happens when an art, uh, what, regardless of which art it is, becomes rather uh, limited by the fact that it's has a firm, uh, so firm a tradition that that training tends to drift it away from practicality. And I remember uh, even Bruce Lee talking about this in, the, in, you know, in his time, which is the 60s, of his frustrations with ch the Chinese arts, which, which drifted that same way. And I think that this is not specific to Aikido or Chinese arts or any martial art. I think they've all done this, even arts going back into the 1700s, such as like Savat, uh, you know, initially were very potent. They eventually became sportized or kind of watered down. So a lot of people could practice it because they were fascinated with it. And, uh, and so I guess that, that was our lead off question. Have you noticed that same thing and, and how do you deal with yeah. it with your art? So in terms of, um, like traditional arts and their efficacy, um, a lot of these traditional styles were born out of necessity, mm -hmm. um, such as wartime, for instance. So um, a lot of the movements were based on um, re the requirements of the time, whether you're fighting someone on a horseback or... Um, so it's, uh, you, you know, a lot of these people who trained back in the day, these ancient warriors, shall we say, um, they had to be well-rounded um, and they had to be, um, for instance, if you and I are fighting in a war against another faction, for instance, if I start with... Um, infantry. So I'm fighting very close up front with weapons. And if my weapon gets taken off me, I have to fight hand to hand. Um, then let's say you are on horseback, your cavalry. So you're fighting from a slight distance. 
Um, and then we've got artillery who are throwing projectiles from even further back. So you have to, um, you have to train at those different, those three different uh, distances, contact distances. Mm -hmm. So it's like um, back in the day, an ancient soldier would have to be very well rounded in, in skill sets. And then if I'm say, um, if I am a martial artist who comes from a small village, for instance, and um, I have a style that I, that comes from this village. Now I'm gonna go on a pilgrimage and um, I'm gonna go travel for a year, for instance. And then during my travels, I encounter you. And you and I, we spar, we take, um, you know, any technique that you caught me with, I'm gonna learn. And any technique that I caught you with, you're gonna learn. And then we'll, we'll assimilate it into our, our respective styles. We'll then uh, walk away from each other. We may never even see each other again. But we may hear stories about each other, you know, and then eventually after my year long journey has finished, I'll go back to my village and then I will, um, I will assimilate all the things that I learned from people such as yourself into my own style. And that's how my style then progresses and evolves. Um, so a lot of these traditional martial artists uh, back in the day were in fact mixed martial artists uh, by the main definition, by the literal definition of it. Um, now, over time, um, as, as the years go by, as these wars become less and less, um, the efficacy of these techniques uh, slowly loses its potency just because um, there isn't a need for them anymore. You know, these ancient weapons, for instance, um, no one uses them anymore, especially now with guns and everything. So people practice them with traditional historical and cultural values and they pay homage to to the ancestors to the ancestry of, of the style um, without ever being in real combat with those weapons or those particular types of techniques so certainly i feel that um, over many years and generations traditional styles lose their efficacy in that way or form just because Back in the day, it was used out of necessity. Now, it's a, a an available pastime. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny when you say that. Talk about that the uh, the needs of the time. One of the one of the the styles that that uh, or the arts that sticks out to me is uh, Okinawan kobudo, which their weapons were all farm implements because yeah. there was no access to any other weapons or implements. So they learned how to use rice flails. Uh, net hooks for for combat and that turned into its own style but yet if you take it out of that time and place where that was the only access that you had to use something why would you use a boat oar as a weapon if you have access to, to an actual effective hand-to-hand -hand weapon and <clears throat> yet it's become stylized it's become its own fighting art and I think even some modern practitioners would say well these are the best weapons you could ever use only because they may not connect the fact that these are farm implements and farm implements were really not designed to be good fighting weapons you could i mean you could adapt them as, be as best you can and i think that kobodo has has that is its lineage they made the best they could of what they had at the time but absolutely it is limited because of that that point in time and what and the circumstances there absolutely and i think certainly if modern day practitioners are still using these um, farm farming tools um, you can always extrapolate 
the techniques from that and apply it to any other weapon, any, any other tool that you pick up. So I think um, certainly there's a lot of versatility, uh, which is why, say, Jackie Chan films are very popular because he's so versatile and creative. And I think it's, a lot of it is down to our own, our own imagination, how, uh, how we can use this weapon in a, in a way that would not be traditionally used, say. For instance, I think with the rice, rice flail, for instance, I mean, Bruce Lee, <laughs> enough said, right? <laughs> yeah. And I did read that, that he said of it, he hated that thing. He said it was just not a, as good as he was with it. And I, I think that, you know, he was amazing in, in many things. But, uh, you know, he said it's just, I would call it, a, he didn't say this, I would call it a user vindictive weapon. It's just oh. as dangerous, if not more dangerous to you than it is to the other person. <laughs> and uh, in fact, there's a story, I, I'm, I'm kind of a, st a student of, of medieval history as well. Mm -hmm. And there's a story of a, I think it was an Austrian prince in the Middle Ages, somewhere around 1400, 1500. He was blind, but he insisted on going into battle. And so he got on his horse, he had a pole flail. So it was a, imagine a nunchuck with one of the sticks was about four feet long. And of course, being in, in Western Europe, it wasn't little, it was a thick, heavy wood uh, flail. And because he was blind, he couldn't see, he took six squires on horses around him to lead him into battle. He killed all six of his squires, all six of their horses, and his own horse before he was finally captured. Oh, um, my goodness. I mean, a flail is a terrible weapon. It's, I shouldn't mm. say terrible. It's, it's uh, amazingly effective, but it's extremely yes. dangerous. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. You know, anybody, you can, you can flourish them around, and they're a little dangerous, but when you hit something and it bounces, it's probably going to bounce right back at you. So, <laughs> True. Now, with the pole flail, you can be far enough away from the swinging part that you're not going to get hit with it, but it's everything else that's, you know, going to get, going to get wasted from it. Very true. I mean, just, the, um, well, maybe about a couple of hours ago, uh, I caught myself in the head, you can probably see it, caught myself in the head with my, my one of my sticks, just mm -hmm. because I, uh, and, it's, and that's just with a short stick, you know what I mean? It's like, that, that um, happens. Well, that was silly. <laughs> silly I'm not too proud up. to say I've not hit myself. I've hit myself in the head in training many times. So <laughs> it happens. You know, you learn how that Absolutely. weapon moves and how it, uh, how you got to work with it. And yeah, it's, it's Absolutely. Uh, much less one that's on a swinging joint. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see those nine sectioned uh, whips. Yes. And I see people who have incredible, incredible uh, coordination with them. Mm -hmm. And um, though... It's like uh, you, you, when you see them practicing by themselves, they're amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, I like to see them actually use it. Um, in if people are completely padded up, then you'd be able to see them uh, actually use it uh, for sparring purposes or even com competitions. That's something that would be really interesting to see. To see if um, they can wield the weapon as well as they can or fight with it it's just, it'll be the way around and i think um because you get these uh filipino stick fighters when when they do competitions they're padded up and um of course uh when you do um competitions any kind of competitions there are always safety regulations you know what i mean there's always safety uh back in when you know uh ancient martial arts back in ancient china or japan th there was none of that you had maybe some body armor and everything and <laughs> so I think uh, times have certainly changed. Um, tradition remains very prominent in traditional styles, um, as you would imagine. Though 
I, I do think sometimes it's that tradition that gets in the way of, of the efficacy, um, in, especially when you have, say, an instructor. Uh, let's say you have the first instructor of a particular style, and he maybe chooses two or three students that he likes and says, right, I'm going to pass on a few of my my secrets to them not everything and then he passes them on to his his students then one student becomes the head the head teacher now and he has a few training secrets that he wants to pass down but not all of them he then passes it down to one or two students and then so on and so forth generations go by we have a very watered down version of what was once great you know what i mean and i think um certainly uh in, the instructors have a role with how much how much is passed down to the next generation. I think that's very important. Mm -hmm. So for me as an instructor, my, my goal was always to have my students surpass me in one way or another. You know what I mean? And um, it didn't mean that they, they had to beat me today. They could benchmark where I am today. And maybe, maybe in a few years' time, we could see, um, we could compare the skill sets from where they are now to where I was three years ago. For instance, and I think hey, that's a great way to just because I think we are always evolving, we are constantly improving ourselves. Um, and I think you know, if you're an instructor, you know, you have to teach everything when students ready. I mean, the right students, obviously, and um, I think that's really important. I think certainly with a lot of traditional styles, um, a lot of that is lost um, due to maybe the, the instructor didn't want the students surpassing him, you know. Um, so I think that's certainly a limitation that we have to look at as well. Um, so you've got the history and the culture um, and times changing, so there are no more wars anymore, um, like there were in ancient China, ancient Japan. And then maybe you have uh, maybe more egocentric uh, instructor who didn't want to pass down everything. So all of those contribute to where martial arts or traditional martial arts is nowadays, um, which which I think is a shame. And I think, I think um, it's that uh, definitely over the past few years, um, you get a lot of these mixed martial artists who are challenging traditional martial artists, especially uh, I think a couple of years ago, maybe even last year, there was a, a Chinese MMA fighter who challenged a Tai Chi master. Um, I think I saw that footage. Yeah, it did not go well for the Tai no, Chi guy at all. No. <laughs> um, and it's, um, and the problem is a lot of, traditional martial artists uh, don't spar. They don't have um, some kind of physical resistance, which I think is absolutely essential. You need a resistance. You need non-compliant um, partners. And, um, and I think there's a reason why for that. And, and mm. we've, we've heard this said a lot, you know, where if you're a martial artist and you don't do live training or spar or whatever, that you're not gonna, you're gonna be limited. And I think that that sets some people off. Like, well, yeah. firstly, sparring is, is scary. It's a little frightening. But uh, to break it down, I think there's two, there's two ways a martial artist learns. One is he's, he learns what he's shown, like what he, is demonstrated to him and what he is taught. That's, that's part of it and it's an important part. But he also yes. learns what from trial and error, from he, he will discover things that his teacher did not show him. In fact, with my students, I will tell them, you will learn more from the partner that you're working with by playing around and trying and seeing what works for you than you will learn what I tell you. 
In fact, do not limit your martial art merely from what I tell you, because mm. you'll, you'll put yourself in a pen that's no bigger than my own experience. And all Absolutely. of us can learn from just how our bodies work. We, we learn, we'll discover things, or I should say we rediscover things. I don't think there's anything yes. new in the martial arts. I think all we do is rediscover them. And a, and a good student who's got a mind to learn through discovery as much as he has to learn from what his instructor tells him will be a great martial artist. And the ones that I exploration, like a Bruce Lee, he did a lot of exploration and he turned himself yes. into an extraordinary martial artist, not just from copying what he was shown, but going much farther than that. And I think that's where if a traditional art is stuck because it eliminates the student discovering on his own. It just says, don't even do that. Just do what I tell you to do and do it harder and more and longer. So it's not through the, the lack of intent on the student's mm -hmm. part. It's, the, it's that lack of exploration to say, explore and go beyond what I'm showing you. I completely agree. And my, my instructor always encouraged me to go train with other people. Mm -hmm. you know, um, and it's like, uh, and I do the same with my students. Um, there is no exclusivity. Um, it's like, hey, if, um, if MMA is the current thing at the moment, go try it out, see what you can do. And, and then whatever these guys are doing against you that's working, learn it. You know, you have to learn it and then add it to what it is you already do. And I think um, when um, it's when you're able to evolve it into your own, your own expression, because I think martial arts is, is a form of expression. And um, I have a... I have, well, I have a student who was with me for 12 years before she moved back to Spain. And it's like, uh, you know, she, she could move in ways that I couldn't, you know, and um, she, she was very agile. She was very, uh, I had um, my physical stature, which worked to my advantage, but she was very, well, she could move in ways I just could I mean, she had this kind of agility, this flexibility that I just didn't have. And it's like, you know, I still taught her the similar techniques to the next guy, you know what I mean? And um, I think with my classes in particular, um, I will have, if I say, um, oh, we've got quite a few sirens outside. <laughs> it was last time. I know, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm staying indoors this time. Okay. I'm so all good. <laughs> but um, I will have, um, let's say I'm an art teacher. I have a blank canvas and I will paint my own painting. I will then show my students how I did that, uh, the technique that I used with my wrist, the brush strokes, and where I got the inspiration from. You know? And then from those factors, I'll teach that to my students. Then I will get all my students to, to do their own painting based on what I just taught them. I don't want a carbon copy of what I've just done. I don't want a photocopy of the original because it loses its integrity. You know, I want something that uh, I want, uh, so at the end of the class, I will see, say if I have 10 students, I will see 10 uh, different paintings based on my, one, my, on, on my one teaching. And I think that's really important because um, everyone's different and it's embracing the, that, that diversity. And um, yeah, I think, you know, diversity is everything and creativity and variety. So then when the students look at each other's, it's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think to do that. So when they're doing different techniques and different sequences it's like oh i can do this i can go in this direction because of this oh i didn't think to do that and sometimes you know um when i get my my students doing um uh, their own free form sparring and everything when 
it's like sometimes I see things I thought, wow, that that was really cool. Uh, I I definitely couldn't do it as well as they did it. You know, it's um, and I'm honest enough to admit that. But it's um, like, and I think it's important that where um, you you have you you see something that inspires. It's like, oh wow, I I really like that. It's like when I go onto YouTube and I watch um, different styles and everything. I, sometimes I see things I thought, wow. Oh my goodness! I, I I never thought to do something in that way. Okay, let's see if I can do it. And then I realized that I can't. Um, so then I've I've just learned something new. I've learned my way of being able to compensate for what I can't do. And eventually, I'll be able to learn that one technique, you know, and so on and so forth. And so it's it's um, it's a very progressive journey, but I think it's well worth it. And I think um, nobody's ever um, excellent on day one. You know, it's yeah. uh, so I think when you get martial artists now, traditional martial artists in particular, um, a lot of them don't really get really, really, really good until many, many, many years on. You know what I mean? It's like um, and it's it's like when you have a Thai boxer, for instance, or a boxer whose aim is just to punch you in the face or, you know, drop you with a leg kick. Um, when you do say uh, when you do traditional kung fu or something, it can take years and years and years for your body and your mind to be conditioned to those types of movements to be able to acclimatize to a modern day fighter. You know, I mean, it is a lifestyle at the end of the day, though. Um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's just about being open-minded to the many possibilities, many opportunities that are out there currently. Yeah, you know, a topic that comes up a lot is cross training. And, uh, and, and I, I think you're right. The more influences that you have, the more you will grow. But I don't think a group needs to limit itself to, uh, or, or a martial artist needs to think of, well, I, I'm here at my home dojo. I listen to my one teacher and I need to go find one other, I need to go find another teacher or another teacher. You can actually have, and I did an episode on this a while back on how to build a talent hotbed, which even within a dojo, if you had a group of people that all embraced learning kind of from trial and error as much from as much as learning from their instructor, they will discover things that will work. I've actually had students who I've watched succeed with something that they just discovered and said, you know what, we're going to, let's do a class on that because you've done this really well. Why don't you share how you make this work? So you can take a, a group, even without having to go out to other dojos or other groups, you can make yourself better by creating an atmosphere in your group that is conducive to learning through discovery. As long as the instructor has got an open enough mind and not is not limited by his ego, the learning of those students to just what he teaches them. And, Completely agree. And it's great when you can bring other influences in. And I've done that too. I've invited instructors to come in. I will almost kick my students out as I go, you know, go learn from other people, go to seminars, visit other dojos. You know, if you know somebody who's a martial artist, get together with them and uh, let them let them show steal, steal, steal everything you can, yes. and then bring it back here. Uh, and it's it's just invaluable, not only for the, them but for the group itself. When the attitude yes. is on discovery, you open up that second channel of learning. And when you can open that thing up, you really have got great a great future for expanding your your art and you never run dry of well what are we going to teach today what are we going to study today you know you never get bored with the stale curriculum that is just going over the same things over and over and over and over again 
I mean, no, you're absolutely right. And I think um, when you have, um, obviously, when, when you're starting out, those drills and everything, oh, yeah. they do have their place. I mean, I think with um, the problem with me is I forget them. <laughs> you know, I forget the drills and sequence. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think. And at the moment you think, I'm never going to forget this drill. I, this is so cool. I'm never going to forget it. And then three or four yeah. years later, you're like, I see what happened. <laughs> and sometimes, though, when you forget it, when your body is pushed to a to react to something, it comes out. You know, it's like, ooh, didn't realize I still had that. Um, but I think uh, when when I because I bring in other instructors as well, and uh, they do different dr uh, different drills with my my students, like boxing drills, or you know, even some pad work and and head movement and everything. This is great because it's like hey whilst i say to my students whilst you may never be a top boxer it's good to learn how to do it so that if someone ever fights you with it you you understand the mechanics you understand um the psychology behind it and and the movements the mechanics i think that's so so important and it's like um when i uh, go to another club to train I'll put on a white belt. Well, a figurative white belt. I, I wear tracksuit bottoms and a white t-shirt just, just to stay very neutral. But I, I, you know, I'm there as a complete beginner. It doesn't matter what prior training I've done before. I come to your class. I am at the very end of your class with the beginners. You know, no exceptions. And um, I think a couple of times if, uh, if I come to your class, for instance, already wearing a black belt and I stand with the seniors, well, you know what I mean? It's a, uh, wow, you know, I, I think that already informs you of my mentality. I'm here to just to show off and fight and right. cause trouble, you know. Right. So it's like, I, so I always say to my students, look, it doesn't matter what you've done with me, whatever skill level you've achieved and attained with my training. Um, when you go to another class, you give that instructor that respect. You start at the very beginning, you know, and it's, um, and you go to that class with the right intentions to, to learn and to grow and to develop. Uh, not to go to another class to fight. Um. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, and it's doing it for yourself. It's the reminder of, for, to yourself of, you know, you want to get everything, not just yes. skip to the head of the class and sort of just oversee things. And uh, one of the things that I, that I tell my students is when you go somewhere, don't think of collecting techniques like you're building a huge database in, in your head, mm -hmm. like you're trying to memorize everything. And it's good if you want to write things down, absolutely mm -hmm. do journaling and whatnot yes. but really what you're there to do is expose yourself to something that your body just says wow this really fits for me yeah. some people love head slips and they're like i love not getting hit because i can do those boxing head slips mm. other people like this just doesn't feel right to me mm. you know or or something you find what fits and what i found is over the years your body like you said it's in there it it just absorbs yeah. and if your body likes it and it goes i can use this i know how how this technique works it just seems to click for me. Then just expose yourself to as many uh, different sources as you can and find out where your style starts to solidify. It starts to grow because it's built on foundations that fit your body really well and your mentality very well. Completely agree. And it's like every advanced technique that seems impractical within reason, within reason, um, any technique that seems this, you could never do that. I always think, actually keep an open mind, everything that I ever, I can do now seemed impossible when I first started out, you know yeah. what I mean? And then as my skills continue to develop over the years, 
I found that all the advanced stuff, I was slowly being able to apply, slowly, and I'm still learning now. There are still things that I wish I could do. Um, and I think, I um, it, right, you know, <laughs> it's, and it's like, uh, for sure, when you've got, uh, when people say, yeah, no, no, that, I'll just stick to the basics. I'm like, okay, yeah, fine. But one of, one of these days, those basics aren't going to save you. You know, I think it's important to learn everything and eventually um, you'll find, I mean, every technique, within reason, every technique will work if you do it at the right time, if the conditions are right for it. So when people say to me, oh, this, this kata or this form doesn't work, I said, those techniques in those forms only works if the conditions are right for it. You need to determine, you need to be a good judge of character and determine when the conditions are right for that one technique. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, you know, I, I, when I used to spar a lot, um, I used to do this, um, well, before lockdown anyway, when I, uh, I used to be able to do this spinning psychic, which was, I could do it like this and it was super quick. And during sparring, I could always jet perfectly and I always land and everything. And years ago, I had a um, confrontation on the street when um, this was before camera phones was a thing, which is great. Because um, <laughs> uh, definitely this would have been on YouTube and I would have got trash for it. But um, um, so the conditions seemed right. And, um, but it was obscured by my eagerness to do this one spinning psychic and yeah. I did the spinning psychic and I missed mm. and yeah anyway um I came out on top of this fight um at the very end which is great but I will always be in my heart I will always be that one guy who missed that spinning psychic I should have got him with it and I was just too eager to do it the conditions were favorable it was just my eagerness that was that that killed it for me and you know even though I won, the people who were there watching that fight will always remember me to be that guy who missed that, that spinning psychic. <laughs> so it's, well, um, from the reality standpoint, we know one mistake could be the difference between victory and defeat. And absolutely. You know, when, when absolutely. the fight goes real, and we talked about this a little on our pre-interview, pre yes. is that you can't afford mistakes. You know, in, in a competition fight, one mistake could be a defeat, but a defeat is just, you know, a, a D. Whereas you lose for real and it could be your life. So there, yeah. there the, that it's zone so, is, is so really narrow because you never sure. Um, in fact, I wanted to, maybe this is a good chance to bring in your, um, some of your bouncing and security background mm -hmm. as well. Cause obviously you had a chance to try your martial art for real on the job. And mm -hmm. you know, what I wanted to, to discuss was the difference between looking at martial arts and a study from a pure physical standpoint to then putting in it into how do you read pre-fight cues or pre-attack cues, read body language, and then the physical aspects, what do you choose not to do because of the environment that you, that you need to be in? So maybe we could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, like, so generally I'll break martial arts down into three categories, which is um, fighting, performance, and health. When you break um, fighting down, Further, you might have a police officer who needs to um, apply skills to arrest someone to make an arrest you might have a soldier who applies those skills for more you know um, fatal reasons uh, should we say then you ha might have a security guard for instance who is just trying to restrain someone or so you've got um, three different types of occupations which require 
different types of skill sets. Um, to be honest, I think it's important to, to, to be proficient in all of them. But um, and remarkably and different time. skill sets. Absolutely. Submitting because somebody we, is different than getting them out of a building. Yes. And, and, and certainly the um, conditions always change. Everything always changes. So when you have, say, um, if you escort someone out of a building, uh, out of an establishment, and then push comes to shove, you know, that person then waits for you outside the club when you finish, then it becomes something else, you know, yes. and then they might have friends and they might all be armed. So it's like, okay, you know, so me being able to restrain someone is no longer enough to deal with the full-on multiple attacker armed assault that is now facing me. Mm-hmm. So um, I always think it's important to train with as much variety as well, um, which is something that I love about Aikido um, because there are multiple attackers. And um, when I was, um, if there was a big fight that broke out, for instance, my footwork and the way I moved always had a lot of Aikido to it, which is something that I, I found immensely useful. You know, it's like um, if it was one-on-one, um, I could use other things. I could use other things. But if it, if it was multiple attackers, suddenly you're dodging punches left, right, center. And it's, uh, you've got people coming at you. And when you've got three or four guys coming at you at once, um, you can always count that it's never going to be completely coordinated on their part, which is great. But, um, oh, it's great. <laughs> but it's like, especially what's on the ground. Is there broken glass? Is it slippery? Um, all these things that we have to take into account. So awareness is something that I, I drill into everything. I think it's so important because it could avoid, um, it could avoid many situations. When you see some, a situation that, could, that is building up or when you have, or even when you're reading body language. I mean, to this day, I still think one of the worst parts, maybe even the worst part of, any confrontation is whether is when the fight may or may not happen. You know, it's um, yeah. if you and I are squaring off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I might say something unsavory towards you. You might say something back. Now there is always that uncertainty. Wait, is this guy going to fight me or not? You know, is this going to happen? And when someone throws the first punch, fine, great. At, at least I know now. I I know where we stand with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but the toughest fight is the one that we never see coming. So I can train for a month, two months for a competition. Great. Um, and I will win or I will lose or doesn't matter. I'll give a good account of myself and whoever wins, wins. Um, in a real life situation, I'm going to be walking home from, from work. You know, it's like uh, I'm going to walk. I've got my bag on my, on my shoulder. Man, I had a rough day at work. I'm really tired. I'm, I'm already thinking about the cup of tea that I'm going to have as soon as I get home. I might even take a nap. And suddenly I'm now distracting myself as I'm walking back home. Mm-hmm. Now that makes me a prime target for someone to jump in. And it's like the attacker chooses when and where he will, he or she will attack you. And for me, it's okay, I just need to be aware until I get home. You know, I need to be switched on. So the worst part of security for me wasn't throwing people out or having to deal with angry people who wanted to take my head off. It was always um, who was waiting for me outside or, you know, who, who I could encounter on the walk back to my car. Um, and for the most part, if I worked with a team, a uh, team of people, sometimes we all came together. Um, so we were always together until, we, you know, until one of us dropped us all back home. And uh, 
So in, in many ways, that, that was fortunate. Sometimes if I was by myself, I'm like, oh, I just, you know, I'm sure I threw that guy out the other week or, you know what I mean? It's, um, and of course, if you see it coming, it's easier to deal with than someone coming from behind. And that is always one of the main dangers. It's like, you know, and I think martial arts doesn't make us invincible. It just increases the probability and our likelihood of being able to fire back successfully, you know? Um, and I think the, when you are in the heat of the moment, and I can say this proudly that I've never thrown a punch at anyone whilst I was in security ever. Um, even though that may have finished that I, you know, doing any kind of strikes may have finished the, the confrontation a lot faster. Um, I opted not to because there were cameras and everything. And also, um, I feel that I need to be good enough to be able to put someone down without injuring them. Right. I don't mind knocking them around a little, you know, um, <clears throat> but when I'm causing permanent injury, that's when there are issues. I know I can. Um, so it's and, like, and that's where I, I think that, that security <laughs> and bouncers have got gr a great set of lessons for average civilians to, to learn because <clears throat> the, the bouncer is there to protect the club and is to yes. protect the, the customers and the business. Yes. They don't do good business if they break people's jaws and knock people's teeth out and send them to the hospital. That you know, the bar would get sued. Absolutely. If you're an individual person, your business may not get sued. You might get sued. Yeah. You might get charged. There are many things that can go wrong with how you handle the physical in that one moment. And that and that's where I think that alternate tools are are of control uh, are very valuable. Yes. And, you know, when you Absolutely. talked about that, I was brought back to a mentor who studied um, predators and criminals, and he interviewed hundreds of them. And, you know, the walking home and, and some, somebody spots you, and you, you really are potential prey to them. And what he found in, in interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people, and this is all from, from people who've done uh, muggings on the street to rapes and even murders, Mm. And he, what he found was <clears throat> a very chilling perspective by these, by these predators, because they would say, I could see somebody from a distance and I could make a choice right then and there. Do I go further or do I just say, no, I'm not going to attack that person. I'm going to go after somebody else. They, they're looking for the easy target. <clears throat> but at every stage as they approached the person, they could see and assess, do I go further? You know, did yes. this person notice me walk up on them? No. Oh, well, maybe I could go talk to them. Then I go talk to them. Are they a passive person? Are they kind of scatterbrained? Are they not attentive? Are they not, do they not respond to me very well? Would this be an easy mark? And they can say, nope, I'm going to go on. Or no, nope, now it's time to, maybe I can maneuver this person into an into a isolated spot. Or maybe this is my opportunity to hit them when they don't see me or whatever. They said that the predator and the prey has no idea that this approach is happening or that these mm -hmm. choices are being made one after the other, after the other, yeah. after the other, up until it's okay. I, I have a great opportunity here. I can, I can get what I want from this person and they won't be able to do anything about it. The victim, however, it seems like a total ambush. Like, like they were just walking along and they got struck by lightning. It wasn't, there was a total setup and they were oblivious to it. And they yes. were even more so, I think giving off the wrong, signal they were distracted in their head and you know cell phones have been the gift to the yeah. you know whether you're sitting and you're focused on your cell phone somebody could walk right up to you and take you out without even noticing it 
but you don't give off that that atmosphere of I'm my head's up, I'm watching, I'm observing, I'm aware, and and not only am I noticing, but I'm exuding a confidence. And I think sports yeah. really give that confidence, not only of the the athletics, but of how you move when you are not frightened by by what you see around you. Yes, you can see it. Yes, you can see a potential threat. You can even alter what you're doing because of it. Mm. You're not going to look like you're afraid of it. And this is the one thing that these predators all seem to have in mind is I want to spot prey. As soon as somebody looks like they might be another potential predator, I don't want to have anything to do with them. Mm -hmm. They don't want to fight. They don't want violence. They don't want to risk. They want success. Yes. Go to the easiest, the lowest hanging fruit, the easiest prey they can get. And part of that lesson is to just not be the easy prey. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's um, on occasion what my what my teacher would do with me when I was when I was younger. Um, he would take me somewhere like a cafe. We would sit down and we would people watch. And he would say to me, "Who would you attack and why? If you were if you were going to be the, the villain in this story, who would you attack and why? I choose this person because you know, headphones in, listening to his." Is Walkman, um, <laughs> and um, probably wearing flip flops. He's not going to run yeah, anywhere. Absolutely, you know, it's like perfect. I and mean, oh, this person's got lots of bags, so um, this is going to be a very easy target. Then he goes, okay, so if it's that easy for you to be able to spot the person you're going to attack, mm-hmm. even if you're now the person who you're, you're the victim, you don't even know you're the victim. Okay, you just need to make sure that you're not. And um, one thing that I learned is. Um, for sure, with um, you, you generally have the element of surprise. Um, and if if an attacker knew you could defend yourself, they probably wouldn't have attacked you in the first place in that way anyway. Mm-hmm. And all you do is, even if you spot them coming up to you, and you man, um, you you don't avoid you avoid it for yourself. What you've just done is you pass the curse on to someone else. They just find someone else, right. which is the worst thing. You know, it's um, you, they they find someone who's less prepared, and um, so. It's uh, that's something that um, that's something uh, a couple times I know I know for sure that I've avoided uh, potential confrontations just because I managed to spot someone and all I did there was it just meant that they picked on someone else you know um, I've come to terms with the fact that that shouldn't be so much my concern anymore um, when I was younger that we used to really plague me um, because I thought well. Um, a few years ago, uh, there was a situation where I talked a guy down. The guy definitely, I mean, he was schizophrenic and he was using. Um, you could see the injection marks on his legs and everything. Um, he, when I walked out to, to talk to him, everyone else stepped back and took their phones outside of recording. I thought, great. And um, I talked him down. I knew he had something on him, but until he brought that out, I wasn't going to do anything. I talked him down. Anyway, a week later, he, he uh, killed someone. And oh, wow. it was like, yeah, when I saw it on the news, I, I was sick to my stomach. And um, of course, I, I knew that actually, if I had done something there and then, uh, maybe that, that wouldn't have happened. But then at the same time, he shouldn't have been there. He, it was him who did that. And it wasn't, I don't think it was my responsibility. Um, and I think um, if I had been the first one to throw the punch, um, probably wouldn't be here now. Um, I think, yeah, especially um, if the person has a mental health condition, um, you know, it, that's not good either, you know, because they're not always in control of, of 
what they're doing at the time, especially if they're using some kind of substance. And when I was doing security, that um, there were people who who would obviously you vet them before they come in, but sometimes they they be doing things in the toilet, and then you have to go and deal with them. And you know, depending on what they're using, sometimes they become very um, belligerent and very difficult to remove. And it's like if I could, if it was a punch up. You know, if, I, if, if I'm allowed to use it, unrestricted warfare or whatever, getting them out would be easy. But, mm. you know, the, the long-term ramifications and consequences is a legal battle that I wouldn't want to get into if, if right. the guy presses charges. So it's, um, and I think that's what's so important about martial arts. It's, it's self-control, you know. So whenever, whenever anyone said anything to me that was offensive, I, I, I never took it to heart. You know, I, I didn't really care. You know, it's like, um, it's never the hill I want to die on. They can right. say what they want about my mother and everything. They don't know my mother. She's a great person. <laughs> so it's like, um, I was always very just level-headed. Nothing ever got to me. Um, because they're only saying this because I, I ejected them or I refused them entry. Or, you know, it's... Um, or trying to provoke you. Yeah, and that's a, and a smart, a wise man does not lo- allow himself to be provoked. And that this is one trait that I love about the security. And I've worked some security, done some bouncing is you mm. never let yourself get provoked because that's manipulation. And, and yeah. you will, you will and I think, poorly when you allow yourself to be manipulated by something. Absolutely. I think when you are, if you're easily manipulated, you could be the best fighter. And if, if you're manipulated in that way, it's like, hmm. <laughs> and and, and it's, um, I've it's found that street thugs can be easily underestimated for how, how well they can manipulate somebody into a situation that is bad for them and good for the attacker. Like they'll, mm-hmm. they'll draw them into a, a place where it's like a checkmate. And they, they're pretty cunning about it because they practice it. You know, these are kind of, kind of like psychopaths to a certain degree where they, they want to get in fights. They don't want to, they want to win them. They, they, and they want to make sure by the time it starts, they put every advantage in their, in their hand and you have none or very little. Absolutely. Um, Especially when the cameras come out and everyone's filming it and not with the intent of evidence, but with the intent of all the likes and follows and shares that they might get from it, which Mm, you know, isn't, I think this day and age, you know, this generation is really bad for that. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's, it's our generation's version of the Roman plebeians where they were right. drawn to the Colosseum. They loved the violence. They wanted to see the spectacle. And I think now it's the, the Colosseum is you could walk around a street corner and see, Oh, here, here it is. Here's the spectacle. I want to get it. I want to get a, a video of it. Um, Absolutely. You know, there's um, there's that part of humanity that's a little bloodthirsty that likes that sort of stuff. Um, it's very true, you know. It, it's very very true. And unfortunately, what those people never realize is, you know, after you post that video on Facebook or YouTube or wherever, the person who is in the, the people who are involved in those videos have to live out live through that. You know what I mean? It's like this is now. I mean, through. Maybe, I mean, of course, I'm not saying that they don't have responsibility for that, but, um, you know, everyone's accountable for what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, though it's like, um, that's on record now. Everyone's seen it. You know, it's, um, and sometimes people might say things that are, that they wouldn't say if they were calm. You know what I mean? It's like, they might say things that are um, non-politically correct, shall we say. And 
Now, obviously, if they were calm, they wouldn't have said those things. So normally, if I have an argument with someone, oh, I, I say I, I, I very rarely argue with people, but if I have an argument with someone, I'll walk away thinking, God, I really wish I didn't say that. Once I've cooled down, I really wish I didn't say that. And if I was calm, I wouldn't have said any of those things. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, why can't I be calm all the time? Why did I let that get to, get, take, take that to heart? You know, it's like, um, and it's, uh, that was not them making me angry. I, I let that happen. I compromised, you know, and I think um, as a martial artist, it's so, a lot of the, a lot of the important skills are not physical. You know, a lot of the skills are very much, you know, honor, respect, and um, control over yourself. That's so important, you know. So, you know, whether it's control of my, I, I regard my mind to be like the driver of the car. The car might be a Lamborghini, but if the driver's drunk, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's a Lamborghini or a Yugo. If the driver's drunk, it's not going to drive well, and it's probably going to hurt somebody. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's always about your, your frame of mind, you know. And I think um, any time that I ever... Um, Right before doing a shift, I would always meditate. Anytime I'm about to make a, make a decision, I will meditate, even if for a few seconds, because I want to make that decision mm-hmm. with a clear mind. You know, I don't want anything, I don't want to make a decision based on a feeling that was temporary, you know, and, um, and I've, said, I've said this before, you know, you never want to create a permanent set of circumstances where you are temporarily angry. Um, you know, so it's like, if you and I are um, arguing, for instance, and you hit me in the face and you knock me out because of reasons, it might feel really good there and then. Afterwards, it's like, ooh, yeah, maybe you should have done that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it. Um, yeah, and how this relates, I think, to training is, you know, the, the, the realms that I, I break, my, break martial artists into generally are the academic, like those who studied heavy traditional arts, uh, then the sport fighters is the second one. And the third is the reality. Uh, people deal with real violence where it's yeah. not structured. And I think that's got a lot of challenge because of what you talked about earlier. The environment could be different. You could be dealing with, you don't know who you're dealing with. In a sport fight, you're probably going to be dealing with somebody around your skill level yes. who's got around your body weight size. It's probably only going to be one person. You know who it is in advance. You don't know any of that in an ambush or in, in a live type situation. You don't know if there's multiple people. You don't know if there are weapons involved. You don't even know what skill level this other person is. He could be True. incredibly dangerous and you Absolutely. know, and you won't know, are you gonna get kicks? Are you gonna get chokes? Are you gonna get punches? Are you gonna get tackles and takedowns? Or uh, are you gonna just gonna get a gun pulled on you? You have no, no clue. It's uh, so true, you know, it's like, um, and even if you successfully fight fight this person off and you win, uh, chances are that person has friends and they'll come back for you. And the more you fight, the less peace you have. Um, And I think it's it's a lose-lose situation, you know, like you could win one fight, feel pretty good about yourself, and then then you're fighting all the time when when they have friends, especially with gang violence. And progressively there are more people and they are armed and they all have intent not to kill but to maim and leave you there so that you it's live with hurt, yeah. yeah it's bad you know it's like um so it's like i've been slashed never stabbed touch wood um and it's like um 
when your heart is beating as well, you know, it's, <laughs> oh, um, yeah. So it's like, you know, I think the person who is least skilled with a weapon can cause a maximum amount of damage. Absolutely. We have to be very realistic with that. You know, it's like, um, there are so many variables and, um, like, uh, years ago, uh, I had a guy who, um, oh, he was one of my friends. We, we used to knock around in town together and, um, he did, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and, um, really good, really, really good. He got himself into a scuffle and he took this guy to the ground and cracked his own kneecap against, uh, on the concrete. And, ah, um, okay. ah, yeah. Um, then he started doing a bit of ground and pound. Then he did a really nice armbar. Um, but as he dropped back, he caught his head against the curb and the curb of the road. And it was, um, yeah. So he was worse off than the guy he was fighting. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't his fault. It was just because he trained on mats all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, then the guy whose arm he had, his friend started coming over and kicking my friend. Then I thought I should probably do something. <laughs> but um, things in training are, you know, I think, the um you know i think we it's important to bring an element of realism uh, to to training as well so there is a i mean i'm not sure how much insurance covers but this but i think it's important to have um an element of realism to the training otherwise you're in a false sense of security it's like um um you know a lot of people have never taken a punch to the face before and you know, it's not quite like a like a video game where you get punched and your energy bar goes down a little. Right. Um, right. <laughs> I tell you what, it's like a good punch to the face, and then suddenly you're dizzy. You know, it's like uh, you can hear everyone around you. You don't know what's happening, and you, you lose know, about a second of time. Yeah. There's something in there that it, that brain shock slows you and stops you for a for a pause where. A, like a good striker will know that yeah. that gap and that's where the second one comes in absolutely and um, that that split second is everything mm-hmm. you know it's um you know I, I remember uh getting bottled from behind well <laughs> um the bottle didn't break and i was you usually don't that's the no <laughs> if, if, it, if it had done it I, it would have cut me but it, i would have been right. It, you know, it would have gone straight through, but because it didn't break, it kind of bounced. And um, I remember I was suddenly, I was in like a room that was like filled with white. I couldn't see, I could hear things. I could hear people talking. I couldn't see anything but white all around me. Mm-hmm. And time didn't seem to have any meaning um, where, wherever I was. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember just thinking, God, I've been here forever. And when I finally came to, um, I turned around and the guy had just finished bottling me. Okay. So only Maybe a second or two. Second, yeah. But I was in that weird realm for an eternity. Yeah. And then I re- retaliated, which, um, and then I retaliated. But um, I remember just, that was when there was a big free for all you know, and I just got caught. It was mm-hmm. painful. Yeah. Um, and that was not when I was a bouncer. That was uh, when I was younger, when I was, in and out of bars and everything but you know it's it's crazy it's like um that could have very easily not happened something else could have happened you know somebody could have you know um did something from behind something else from behind and uh, and i think any physical situation that i ever had and i wouldn't admit this back then i'll admit this now is i've been very fortunate you know i think 
any physical competition that we've had, there has definitely been an element of luck to it, you know, where the, the conditions favored us um, for some reason, and we just took advantage of that. And I think, um, I, I will admit that now, I wouldn't admit it maybe 10 years ago. Um, I don't know, it was all me, it was all me. I was just- I'm awesome, I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, um, so now definitely I count my blessings, I thought, oh, you know, I'm glad there was three of them and not eight of them. And I'm only glad that two of them were armed and not all of them. You know, it's right. like, um, or maybe whatever other reason. But I think it's important to acknowledge how fortunate we are sometimes where things could have escalated more. Things could have been, been bad. And I think having that air of confidence about us is very important as well. You know, it's... Um, One of the things that I attach that confidence to really is, is based not only in the physical practice, but also the mindset. Like... And, and this, I think, applies to Aikidoists in general, but I, I don't think it's unique to them. I think it's, it's, it's broadly uh, something that's embraced by most seasoned and somewhat experienced martial artists. They say, I don't want to get into a fight, but I, I have to end it. I have to end, I have to end a fight. And a lot of times people will say, either you're going to say, you're going to have the mindset, I want to fight, or I'm just going to run away. But unfortunately, yeah. the run away can just make you a, a running prey. And anybody that's been in a kindergarten uh, schoolyard knows if you just run, somebody will chase you. Yes. So you can, one of the things that I found helpful is when you start to see that you're in an environment that looks like it's risky, is you say to yourself, do I really need to be in this room right now? Is my presence here absolutely necessary because now's the time to go before it gets absolutely the situation? But Absolutely. the mind of, and this is where I come back to what you said before is, is there a potential fight looming that I might have to put a stop to? If I leave, is some innocent person going to get killed or going to get Absolutely. beat up? So I think there's a, 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 there are times when there's a greater obligation than merely our own self at play. And I, that's a big moral question. And I suppose we could do a whole, a whole talk on, on that, that morality part. But that could be whether you're with somebody that if you leave, yes. run, are they going to get beat up? Are you leaving your own yes. friends at a party or in a bar where you won't be there to help them? Now you can say, hey, listen, I don't need to be here. You don't need to be here. We should all leave. You could have the awareness and the, and the strategy for your group that doesn't have any of that. And you could wind up saving them by saying, hey, how about we go drink somewhere else? Let's let's go. Absolutely. It's better us for be somewhere else. But when that time comes, to me, when the things start to get to that, this could go physical or they do, my goal is I got to put an end to the yeah. violence part. I'm not going to be the one that starts it, but I'm going to make sure that it doesn't hurt anybody. Yes. And that's only if I couldn't, I didn't spot it early enough to leave. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. You know, to avoid it. You really want to avoid it. But uh, I, I'm at the same point you are. You know, I'm older. And, and when I was younger, it's like, I just, I need to save my skin. I need to save you know, my, my close friends and, and, but the more I had experience with, with violence, the more I realized, you know, there's a little more to it than yes. just, I need to run. You know, for uh, one thing, you're assuming you're faster than the person, the, the attackers and that you're going to get away because I would personally would rather face an opponent or an attacker when I'm mm. fresh and I haven't just yes. run a hundred yard dash and now I'm puffing wind. Um, um 
you're right. I mean, it's like um, a couple of times I have been in a situation where I had to run and then I was back in square one minus the stamina with all the you know adrenaline pumping through me. Yep. And now I've got... And an appointment Yeah, yeah. And it's like now I've got these guys who've caught up to me who probably were fitter than me anyway right. for some reason. And, uh, and now it's like, okay. And they've got safety in numbers as well. Now I've got to face them um, as a group uh, because... Uh, or because they managed to catch up to me. It's like, well, I thought if I if I just faced them there and then, maybe I would have stood more of a chance. And it's, um, I mean, then then you do do silly. It's like um, I ran into a residential area and um, uh, there was some big bins because uh, the next day it was going to be bin day. So the, the, I think they called them gar garbage men. <laughs> they uh, so um, I remember just opening these bags and sort of throwing really gross stuff at them and and who wants to touch me after that you know what i mean it's right, like, um, right crisis averted hey great you know i mean i had to deal with them uh one by one later down the line but at least i was okay you know i was i was 16 at the time you know what i mean it's okay. like uh, I thought the only way for me to avoid this fight right now is to throw whatever in these bags that people have thrown out and it was gross but you know <laughs> and uh I, I do think when you run, um, it's like, well, do you have someone with you? You know, it's like, uh, and I think when a situation kicks off, my main concern is whoever I'm with. Mm -hmm. Am I involved with this altercation? I am not. Okay. And neither is the person I'm with. Hey, let's go. You're, you are my top priority. You and I should just leave now. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when you have... Um, I've definitely been on that side of things where I was with someone and a fight kicked off and I just got stuck in, um, right. which when I was younger was a cool thing to do. And then um, looking back now, that was foolish because um, uh, I was that person's lift home. And if, <laughs> you know, um, and I was the sober one. That's the thing. I, you know, I was the sober one and I'm, I'm still the one who decided, you know what, I'm going to get stuck in anyway. And it's like, now it's like, God, it's so pointless. All yeah. of that was pointless, you know. All of that could have been avoided. And um, I think when I was engaging myself in that, I left that person by themselves, you know, which is where other danger could have happened. So now it's like, it, it's been a learning experience. Now it's like, you know, whoever I'm with, you are my priority, especially if you're not trained. You know, um, you are my priority. My priority is to get you back home safely. And then whatever happens here in this establishment happens. So long as the only person that I managed to help was the person I'm with, hey, that's okay. You know, it's, well, to, to a certain degree. I mean, every situation is different. But um, I think we need to be a good judge of the situation, judge of character, um, and read the situation as well as possible. And we can only do that when we're calm. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, uh, so I think it's important to stay calm, harmonize with the situation, see what's happening. Right. Okay. This is not a battle that I can win. You know what I mean? And I'm with someone already. Let's get them out. That's the most important thing. And I think priorities are, it's like if as a martial artist, you know, I want to improve. If I'm going to get stuck in, into this non-related street fight that had nothing to do with me, mm -hmm. you know, that's not the way to do it. <laughs> Absolutely not. <clears throat> Yeah, exactly. And, you know, these things are tough to train because the environment's so different. Reading people is so different. 
I've yeah. seen simulators and or people try to do simulations, whether they're police officers and stuff, where they try to say, okay, well, I'll be the bad guy. And well, you, A, they need to be really good actors to do that. And most people are not. But you're also reading things that are like, how are they dressed? What do they, what do they look like they're armed with? What is their intent and attitude? And that is really hard to simulate in any kind of a training. Yeah. Environment. But it's, it is so profound where, you know, uh, when you are in that real situation and people that are in uh, bouncing and in the bar environment where they see a lot of people reading people and watching their intent um, is great lessons for how to, get somebody be able to read what their mindset is. And uh, there's yes. people that are, you know, lifelong or, or have, you know, decade more career in, in bouncing where they can see whether somebody walks in the yeah. door, are they here to have a drink in a good time or are they here to cause trouble? And they like a rate, they might as well person, person might have a light over their head says I'm trouble. <laughs> and a normal person would look at them and go like, it's just a person walking into the room. Like what, what's there? Um, you know, so I think the more experienced you are, the, the better you are able to read that. I think, um, like, uh, one thing I used to do before any shift was see if there was a football game on or, you know, and to see which which side won and which side was more likely to come here if both sides are coming to this, this establishment. We got a fight on our hands. Right. Um, so it's like, you know, maybe I'll pre-warn the police first, say, hey, look, you know, and they're going to be busy anyway with mm -hmm. Friday night stuff anyway. But... I think um, uh, when you've got um, that sixth sense as well, you know what I mean? It's, uh, some people say, oh, you know, like uh, nine times out of ten, I can tell if, if this guy's going to hit me. I'm like, that's really good, but that, that say that's 90, 90 out of 100 times, that's still 10 times you got caught out, you know? Right. And um, so it's still, I mean, everything is subject to change. There's so many variables. How you might be feeling that day might throw off your sense as well. And um, what I do with my students is um, I will um, I'll tell them to tell one of them to get from A to B and they are with another student and that other student can't fight. Okay. They okay. can't do anything. And I'll say to the other students, right. Okay. So I'll get the two that I've selected to turn around. I'll say to the other students, right. I'm going to pick one or two of you and then you two are going to be the ones to attack them. Okay. Okay. But they don't know that. And then sometimes I might get them wearing hoodies. I might even turn the lights off if I can. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just changes the scenario a bit more. And it is a lot of fun. Um, it's not meant to be fun, but it's, <laughs> you know. And then the, the two students who I selected have to turn around and they have to get from A to B. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the, the two or three people that I selected to attack them can attack as and when that they choose to. And... Um, you know, it is terrifying, especially if I give them a weapon that they concealed. Oh, yeah. yeah, then it changes everything. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, let's stop there. Look, you would have got caught out. Okay. Right. Um, it's fine to get caught out in training, you know, because that's the place to get caught. Um, Safe place to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, that's where you want your failures, not out in the field. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And to be honest, if, and I tell my students, if you can avoid any situation, hey, great, even better even better and um you know i've definitely been in situations which i um well, hindsight is 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 you know <laughs> hindsight with hindsight you, you, you're like, oh, really everybody's a genius with hindsight so true and then, especially when you tell someone something that's just happened they say you know what you should have done right you're like right yeah <laughs> you were there 
Wish you were there with me. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Have shown it beforehand. Yep. Mm. Oh. And I think definitely when um, anyone can get caught out and everyone can get lucky. You know, it's um, you know I've seen street fights where someone who had no martial arts experience took out a guy who had martial arts experience because mm -hmm. just because the other guy got a bit overconfident and um, it was just a lucky hit and it's like now that person walks away hero thinking hey. <laughs> I took out this guy. And, you know, examples um, like that also prove that the solution is not in the realm of the physical. Yes. I mean, it helps. The physical does help, but it's really, yes. and I found this as being a competitive fighter, 80% of, of emerging at the end, being standing when you've taken somebody out is mental. Mm. It is where is your mental acuity? And, yes. and this is where maybe we could come back to the beginning of the talk about the tradition is you don't build that mental strength by doing katas and by practicing, you know, flourishing or, or that sort of thing. It's that, mm -hmm. that mental side of reading opponents, knowing your, what you're physically capable of, spotting your opportunity, exploiting the opportunity with the right decision and having that, that not take, take a half second delay because sometimes those, those opportunities are split second. But you have you have the the physical, but you have the mindset behind it to say, I need to do this. I need to get it done right now. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's that mindset that really is is more. I guess they say it's the size of the fight in the dog rather than the size of the dog in the fight. Um, yeah, it's. it's I, I agree. And if, if, if you survive, absolutely. You know, I think I think having that spirit, that determination, that that drive, that's not. That's not necessarily something that can be taught either. You know, what I mean, that's something that's attained. That's something that's achieved uh, over time. You know, it's. Um, it's you know, I, I, when I when I think about that, I I go back to Customato, who was uh, Mike Tyson's uh, coach, and he talked about it in terms of a spark. You find a young fighter, and he's he's got that little spark, and then you kind of, as a coach, you fan you fan that, and you you start to build it, and it builds. So although I don't think he taught it because he acknowledged that some people have the spark and some people don't, but if you, if you have that little bit of a spark in them and that may be just in their personality of whether they're defiant or they're, they, they are competitive or, or something, they don't have the tools yet. They don't even have the mindset entirely yet. But he says you yes. build that mind by taking that spark and you put a little tinder on it and you fan it mm -hmm. and it starts to grow and grow. Um, but you're cultivating it from a coaching standpoint, not just a here, here's a bunch of techniques I'm going to show you, you figure it out. And that's where I admire coaches who can take a young mind that wants to, wants to grow and they grow the physical, but they, they integrate the mind development with, with it, like those two together. And then the spirit becomes, that's the underlying part that allows those two realms to, to work together. Because without the spirit and the heart underneath, to me, that's the spark. When he talked about the spark, I think that's the spirit within us. Yeah. If someone has I, a, I agree. a spirit to be docile, there's no amount of technique or no amount of hours in the dojo that's going to make them dangerous or they're, they're going to be able to survive yeah. a high-intensity situation. Absolutely. Now, as a coach, you want I like the, the uh, stress inoculation approach where you slowly – get people more used to higher and higher levels of intensity. So they become confident. Yes. It's like, Oh, I can deal with a level two. Let's try a level three. And then I, like, Oh my God, that's too, totally scary. And then, then, you know, a month or two later, like this is too easy. Now we got to go to level four. Let's you do it safely. You don't want anybody in, you know, ICU or getting teeth knocked out, but 
you want them to say, oh, all right, we're seeing level eight and nine. I've, I've seen this before. I've been somewhere close to this. Nice. Rather than going, oh my God, this is so far beyond anything I've ever experienced. You know, then you Absolutely. get the brain freeze and the, they lock up or they just panic or, or shut down. So true. It's, it's so true. I mean, I think um, especially when you have, um, when I, I've been with people who were very good in training Mm-hmm. And they did freeze up in real life, you know, it's, um, and um, it's very normal. It is very it normal. Is. And I think it's so good to acclimatize ourselves to that kind of pressure. It's like um, um, when I'm training, say, um, athletes who are, who are going to compete in, in a martial arts battle of some sort, um, it's like they will, um, if it's for competitions, when they're training, I'll put on crowd noises. You know, it's like uh, in in the background, so that they're used to that. They're used to people hearing that. You know, and um, I think, you know, when you are able to uh, acclimatize to that pressure as well, and you know, um, it, it increases the likelihood of your performance. Should you ever have to do it mm-hmm. in real life, you know, and um, obviously, you know, it's like um, we would say, the fight only if you have to. Um, yeah, and I think. Um, I also think it's time of day as well. Um, like uh, my personal philosophy is that I train when I don't want to so that I can fight when I have to. So my training comes at um, horrendous hours of the morning. If I, like this morning, it was so warm. So um, I went downstairs to get the fan, uh, bring it upstairs. Okay, I'm, I'm awake now. Let's see what I can do. Mm-hmm. And um, I can move fairly okay i'm gonna say fairly okay it's not great um but okay is that good enough to be able to fend something off from previous experience maybe maybe not but um yeah it's like uh if i'm able to move at three in the morning two in the morning um then when i'm absolutely prepared when i'm wide awake i'll be fine you know it's like um and you know my balance at that time in the morning isn't great either, but it's, um, but th- those are things that I, I had to build up to. I couldn't do, I couldn't just jump straight into it. You know, it's, um, yeah, just, uh, like when I train on my, my Bob bag downstairs, you know, I give him a hoodie, he changes clothing every now and again so that I have something different to look at, you know, it's, yeah. um, especially if I, you know, where I give him a black hoodie, I turn off the lights. Now I can't see anything, you know, like, let's see how well I can acclimatize to that. And, you know, it's not my techniques that are, at fault it's my balance because i can't see you know it's like um so what am i doing to address that what am i doing to do this and so you know i i I think as martial artists you know we'll never get bored (laughs) there's so much out there yeah if you're bored you're doing something wrong as a as a a practitioner if if uh your training is stale there's so much out there to to inject into it to make it fun and 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 grow yourself uh, in terms of that Exposure. Mm, completely so, agree. Um, well, we're we're a bit over an hour. Uh, I think this has been a great discussion. Uh, was there anything you wanted to cover, uh, topic-wise? I think we've covered quite a bit. I know we could just chat all day, do. judging from our last discussion. <laughs> um, no, thank you so much for having me on. I mean, I, I've been really looking forward to this. Absolutely, me too. And thank this is, is not disappointed. I've been really excited to, to do this chat. So, um, <laughs> Dr. John, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I'd love to have you back. I'm sure we'll we'll be in in contact. Uh, going forward. So this has just been great. And I'm, I'd love to do it again. Absolutely. Me too. Thank you so much for everything. I really appreciate you having me on. You bet. Take care and have a wonderful day. 
You too. Take care now. <laughs> Thank you very much for watching and supporting this podcast. Enjoy your training.